for cultivating progress across the South, for working to unconditionally improve the lives of all, and for the bold underwriting of every Gravy podcast, SFA thanks our visionary Louisville, Kentucky friends, Pam and Brooke Smith. Love listening to Gravy? Tell the friends. Hopefully, they'll love listening to Gravy, too. Hey, y'all, I'm John T. Edge. And I'm Melissa Hall. We're your hosts for Gravy. 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 Atlanta now boasts enough Ethiopian restaurants that they've earned their own listicles. Top 10 Ethiopian spots. Insane Ethiopian food. Atlanta Ethiopian restaurants to try this weekend. Kayla Stewart sought out some of the key players spreading the goodness of Teff and other East African eats in Atlanta. Uh, this is a uh, uh, Kentot special. It's our main dish of piazza. Uh, this combination has uh, kitfo, uh, dorowot, beef tips, Gomenbasiga, which is cabbage with uh, gomen, and uh, alecha fitfit, which is a little spicy, soft, mixed with injera and meat, and beef tips, and uh, curd. Uh, curd is a raw meat. Uh, our culture, we eat raw, uh, is, uh, also as a popular uh, dish in Ethiopia. In Atlanta, Georgia, you can find a number of Ethiopian restaurants serving up Dorawat, Tibbs, and Shiro, always with the side of injera. But a few decades ago, finding any of these dishes in this foremost southern city was nearly impossible. I drove to Atlanta to learn more about how and why that changed. The home of civil rights leaders like Martin Luther King Jr., John Lewis, and Stacey Abrams, Atlanta has a remarkably storied Black history. The city's role in Black culture and identity extends internationally, too. In 2018, 1.1 million immigrants made up 10% of the state's population. In 2000, nearly 5,500 Ethiopians called Atlanta home. Today, that number has more than doubled making Atlanta home to one of the country's largest Ethiopian immigrant communities. I immigrated in the United States of America uh, in 1996, and the first time I came in New York. So after I lived in New York, after two years, I moved in Atlanta. So since 1998, I live in here. That's Dagen Mimbere. He's the owner of Piazza Restaurant and Market, located in Scottsdale, Georgia, a suburb of Atlanta. Dagin came to the U.S., like many of his peers, in search of new opportunities. But when he arrived, he immediately missed his hometown, Addis Ababa, the capital of Ethiopia. I miss Ethiopia as far as the food. Not only the food, in fact, but the food what we miss is uh, homemade. The food is uh, great. Everything is natural, organic. My mom, my sisters made it. I can't, I can't say it's really hard to express this. I miss a lot. Dagin grew up in Piazza, a neighborhood in Addis Ababa. 
He has memories of eating Dorwat, a spicy, slow-cooked chicken stew that's often enjoyed during celebrations and holidays, and soaking up the flavors with injera, the flatbread that can be found in just about any Ethiopian restaurant or store. But when Dagim first arrived, it wasn't as readily available. The ingredient and even the injera looks and everything was totally different. Dagim missed home, but he also had dreams, dreams of business ownership and success. After a talk with a friend, he realized there was one way he could appease his homesickness and do what he came to the United States to do. To open a restaurant is uh, it's like an, an opportunity. I don't even decide first time to open up an Ethiopian restaurant, even if uh, I have a dream uh, to be a self-employed. Dagim was skeptical at first, but his friend gave him the push he needed to open Piazza named for his childhood home. It's been open for years, and yes, the good injera is now readily available and sold at his market, which is attached to the restaurant. Dagim, like many of his Ethiopian peers, found his own immigrant success through restaurant ownership. So when Ethiopian Eritrean immigrants come to the United States, they gravitate to go to work in Ethiopian or Eritrean businesses, which they tend to be restaurants. That's Dewit Woldu, an associate professor of anthropology and cross-cultural studies at the University of Houston, Clear Lake. Dewit was born and raised in southern Eritrea, Ethiopia's neighbor in the Horn of Africa, and has spent years studying immigration trends from the region. The immigration to the United States uh, kind of pretty much started during the 1960s when Imperial Haridah Selassie was in power, and most of these immigrants tended to be like me, people who came here to study. So you have those early migrants from Ethiopia in 1974, the empire was was uh, overthrown by a communist regime that ruled Ethiopia 17 years afterwards. So you have a lot of people that were leaving Ethiopia and going to students' refugee camps. And the United States, you know, resettled a lot of Ethiopians and a lot of air trains um, to the United States. One of the cities many Ethiopians began to call home was Washington, D.C., which is home to the largest population of Ethiopian immigrants in the nation. But they settled in other U.S. cities, too. I think the wave of my question continued even until, you know, the 90s. So uh, uh, so the resettlement agencies or the government, the U.S. government, was resettling them to different cities. So Atlanta was one of them. Atlanta was Atlanta, Seattle. In Minnesota, all these, you know, uh, big cities uh, became uh, a big, one of the biggest recipients of Ethiopian and Eritrean refugees from Sudan. According to DeWitt, when many immigrants arrive in the United States, they've got two things on their mind. Figuring out how to make a living and finding ways to build community in a new country. Restaurants become a good way to accomplish these goals. When I say connecting into the community, I think food was a big part of it. Uh, honestly, a lot of Eritrean and Ethiopian immigrants, uh, you know, opened, you know, uh, restaurants and cafes, and those cafes become a way to connect um, this community to the larger American community. In so many ways, um, people come into their restaurants and creating friendship, making the business grow. Dagim has tried to create this environment in his community. Piazza isn't a typical restaurant, though. 
it's a sensory overload experience. When you send it, you always I called him, I need this mm-hmm. to put in the wall. So Interesting. It's beautiful. At Dagen's restaurant, I enjoyed the meat and veggie combos, Ethiopian coffee, and honey wine. Smells of fresh-made Ethiopian coffee, slow-cooked vegetables, and of course, scents of bear beret, Ethiopia's signature spice blend, welcomed me. It was all fabulous, but what really struck me were my surroundings. It's a restaurant, sure, but it's also a mini-museum. There are these striking paintings of shepherd and Ethiopian countryside life, there are hand-carved chairs with the faces of Ethiopian civilians and leaders and parables in Amharic, one of Ethiopia's five official languages. This restaurant is uh, typical, traditional, and cultural restaurant. So the chairs, the tables, the setup, uh, all the pictures on the walls, and uh, it's like a museum. I can say it's like a museum. It's not like a, a restaurant just sit down and eat restaurant only this is when you sit down and eat your uh, meal when you see everywhere you you learn something about ethiopian culture ethiopian history ethiopian uh, tradition for dagim turning his restaurant into an immersive experience was more than just sharing his culture and making a living it was also a chance to debunk countless narratives and misconceptions about Ethiopian life. In the 1980s, Ethiopia suffered from a two-year-long famine. 1.2 million people lost their lives and millions of people were displaced. The famine captured global attention, and the ongoing portrayal of Ethiopia became that of famine and chaos, impacting Ethiopians and Eritreans like Dawit, whose childhood was marred by memories of conflict. The history of Ethiopian food extends well beyond recent wars and tells stories of pride, tradition, and ingenuity. The game is determined to share the full story of Ethiopia through art and food at his restaurant. He has vivid paintings of the Ethiopian countryside plastered over the walls, posters of Ethiopia's most respected structures like the obelisk of Oxum, and images of Ethiopia's beloved flatbread and jira being prepared by locals. The reason why that is... Uh... This Ethiopian restaurant idea was to show our experience, to show our culture, to show our history for the non-Ethiopian people who come to see us in here. So the pictures, the tradition, the tables to, to change and share experience from one another. That's the main goal. We need to show you how Ethiopian looks. We are not just coming from third world countries, not only that, but we have to show you we have a culture, we have a history, we have a tradition and everything. That's the reason I came up uh, to do all those things in this little mini restaurant. This hybrid mission of myth-breaking and community that Dagim has sought to achieve has become the norm in many Ethiopian restaurants. You go to Atlanta, I'm sure there are like maybe five or six restaurants that are purely serving Ethiopians. They're not only purely serving the food, but they are also serving the culture and, you know, and kind of recreating life that all these immigrants would like to see. Because these, these places are not, 
not just restaurants selling food, but also, you know, they are uh, creating a sense of community, a sense of identity, uh, a sense of peace for people. Dagim was able to create something that captured the story he wanted to tell. But for some restaurant owners, owning a business is literally a survival story. I just, I moved back in Addis Ababa and I'm here in 1967 in America because of my daughter's problem. Just, she has health problem. That's why I just come in here. I met Hewalt and her son Jonathan at the family's Ethiopian restaurant, Ledet, just over five minutes from Piazza. Hewalt doesn't speak a lot of English, so her son Jonathan helped us communicate with one another, and I learned more of her story. I stay here and I, <laughs> I prepare food in apartment. We start from apartment because I take care of my, my daughter. She has uh, um, medical uh, treatment. Hewalt came from Addis Ababa in 1997. Her daughter had a heart problem, so Hewalt searched for work that would allow her to support her daughter's medical needs. Thankfully, her daughter is fine and now actually works in the restaurant. At the time, however, she was anxious to find ways to make money to get her daughter the treatment she needed to survive. We started making food and selling it to the Ethiopian community around her. They will, you know, they will come and support and buy food from her. And then she, she saved up her money. That's Jonathan, Hewalt's son. He was born in Ethiopia and eventually moved to the United States. He's helped his mom run her business since she was selling food in her apartment. Her Dorawat became so popular in the local Ethiopian immigrant community that she began leasing the restaurant that exists now. We now recently, she purchased a property right here across the street on uh, Memorial Drive. Uh, our first uh, owned property, we've been leasing this place for the last day, two decades. Hewald hasn't struggled with too much nearby competition, aside from one local cook but she attributes her success over local competitors to a key personality trait. One lady, she's just, I, I dominate her because everybody love my food. Just, I dominate her, she, she's good. <laughs> 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 um, can I get it? <laughs> <laughs> he waltz is a joy and full of confidence. That confidence was shaped by an essential need to fight for her daughter's life. Ewalt's determination is part of a common immigration story, moving to the United States for adequate health care. Jonathan, who initially remained in Ethiopia with family, also benefited from his mom's hard work. Immigrants come to the United States to find work and send earnings back to their families. This practice is often called a remittance economy, which can help fund education fees, food and housing, and health care needs. With children in two different countries, Hewalt found herself having to work to ensure that her family survived, no matter where they were. At that time, you don't have any choice. And that's why. Because, because of her, I'm here. Hewalt's family is now here in the U.S., safe and healthy. Her food has become the face of her immigrant experience, but her motherly love and grit defines her restaurant building. She's adapted to American culture and life, while retaining her own identity through her food and her family that works at the restaurant with her. It's a story many in the local Black immigrant community can relate to and respect. We have a lot of customers, Sudanese, uh, Jamaica, East African, everybody take my food, and uh, American, white people. Just, I have a lot of customers. 
He, Walt, and Daguim demonstrate the varying reasons immigrants open restaurants, but both took a similar approach, cooking traditional food. At both restaurants, I was welcomed with familiar flavors, fragrant Viberi seasoning, and digging into the goodness with clean hands. However, at a third Atlanta-area Ethiopian restaurant, the owners take a different approach. When we come back, we'll learn how one restaurant is redefining Ethiopian cuisine with transformative results. For eight generations, the Samuels family has distilled American whiskey. Today, Rob Samuels, the grandson of founder Bill Samuels Sr., oversees the operation of the Maker's Mark Distillery. From the soft red winter wheat they've sourced from the same local farm for over 60 years to the char in their barrels, every step in the bourbon making process is carefully crafted just like Bill Samuels Sr. did when he first created the handmade bourbon. For their excellent spirits and their support of this podcast, SFA thanks Maker's Mark. Maker's Mark crafts their bourbon carefully. Please enjoy it that way. I came here and my first impression was I say this is it, this is gonna be home from now on. That's Titi Demisi, co-owner of Desta Ethiopian Kitchen. She and her husband Ash Nega opened Desta in 2006. Ash has a longtime love of culinary pursuits, and Titi fell in love with cooking as an adult. The couple now manages three locations across Atlanta, and the restaurant is a mainstay on Atlanta's must-go list. I know restaurant owners come and here ask us, like, how do you do this? So what is, you know, what is the secret? I wanted to know the secret, too. And when I met Titi on a busy weekend at the original Briarcliff location, I began to quickly realize why. I noticed that rather than injera being the sole bread option, guests could select options like pita bread, rice, and even injera rolls. For the first time in my life, I saw shrimp on an Ethiopian menu. And potato salad and scrambled eggs were easy-to-order options. Titi and I had to talk on the restaurant's patio, masked up, where we were surrounded by couples, friends, and families eager to enjoy some of the restaurant's lauded offerings, like salmon tibs, lightly fried sambusas, and Ethiopian pasta. Titi and Ash had created their own way of eating Ethiopian food, one that captured Ethiopian and American influences. We want them to have the, di- the Ethiopian dining experience versus experiencing culture. Um, because when you, when you experience in culture, it's becoming like, you know, we were like, how many times do you go to a museum, right? If you go to a museum, you see, you know, you admire the arts and everything else that's there, but you're not going to keep going back. So we said, how do we change that? They changed it by adapting. Many immigrant restaurants are expected to serve authentic food which can be coded language for what Westerners think immigrant groups should be cooking. Rather than trying to meet these expectations, Titi and Ash decided to do their own thing. They bring fish in the picture, offer rice as a starch option, and have no problem reducing spices. They see themselves as an Ethiopian restaurant, with just a few differences in how they operate. We give choices. We give options. And instead of, hey, this is how we eat back home, so... You should eat that way and instead of, would you like to eat it that way or would you like to, your individual plates? Would you like your own fork? Would you like rice just in case you don't like the injera? We just give options. We give choices. I think that's what makes it, makes us, you know, different. And that's what makes us stand out. 
What TT and Ash are doing may seem like just another business operation, but according to DeWeep, they're actually very shrewdly participating in a new global phenomenon called global assemblage. It sounds a bit jargony, but DeWeep broke it down for me. Global assemblage basically means that different big chain restaurants in the United States, when they go to different countries, they are adapting to different customer base. And, you know, what you eat at McDonald's here is not the same thing McDonald's you eat in, in, in Saudi Arabia. In, and it's all over the place. And these smaller businesses are pretty much adapting to the same, you know, model in some ways. And they're doing a lot of adapting in a really adept way. Desta doesn't sacrifice Ethiopian spices and flavors. They just make it about other things too. If we make it about the food, if we make it about simplicity, if we make it about, you know, not overwhelming the food too much and make it all about the spices, just make it enjoyable. The result? It worked. The wheat doesn't see TT or Ash as destroying the Ethiopian food canon. Instead, he sees Desta's work as an example of ingenuity. Pulling inspiration from the Italian forces that tried and failed to colonize Ethiopia, learning the tastes and palates of non-Ethiopian neighbors in their new homeland, and doing it all while retaining their Ethiopian identity and values. The payoff is tangible, with outdoor dining packed and diverse groups all waiting for their bite of Desta's food. It, it means a lot, so it has a huge impact. It has a huge impact. So our food is actually a signature of how deep our history, our culture goes uh, in, in the global stage. And I, I think that's the story that we have to create. And that's the story that we have to narrate. That's the story that, you know, uh, the new Ethiopia, the new Eritrea has to, has to, uh, to bring into the world, you know, uh, and, you know, kind of redefine ourselves uh, based on the history that was before the 1970s and the 1980s. Um, I, I think, uh, and food would be an important uh, storyteller to our ability uh, to uh, bring, you know, our culture and our, you know, past history to, to the world. The restaurants that have come to shape Atlanta's Ethiopian dining community exemplify a people and a culture filled with history, nuances, and possibility. Regardless of how they tell their stories, their efforts are building an entirely new and needed narrative. They're part of Black Atlanta, and they're part of the South. Kayla Stewart, our frequent and valued collaborator, reported and produced this episode. Special thanks go to Axel Tabara, Lalana Casa, Karen Kleiman, and Carrie Ward. We thank Wendell Patrick for Gravy's theme music and Jazar for our donor music. Managing editor for Gravy and all other SFA media is Sarah Camp Milo. Mary Beth Lassiter serves as our publisher. Visit southernfoodways.org to become a member or make a donation. Your dollars fund our work and help us stir up more gravy. I'm Melissa Hall. And I'm John T. Edge. Thanks for letting us pour gravy in your ear. 